The volume of uh, communication in the world is going insane. The daily number of text messages continues to soar. It's estimated that some 7 billion text messages are sent by U.S. cell phone users, well over 20 billion worldwide every single day. Consider the volume of traffic on just the major social network sites. Facebook now boasts 2.23 billion active users worldwide. Over a billion of those log in at least once a day. Nearly a billion hours are spent on Facebook each day worldwide, an average of about 40 minutes per user per day. Twitter logs over 500 million tweets a day. An estimated 97% of world leaders have Twitter accounts. I don't think I need to tell you the world leader who tweets the most. <laughs> Younger users gravitate to social media like Snapchat and Instagram. From what I've observed, as the volume of communication has increased, the depth has decreased. It's like a river that's a mile wide and an inch deep. Most of it is about fairly minor trivia. I mean, that's Twitter's specialty, uh, telegraphing short message about what someone is doing at the present moment. I just made myself a large cup of coffee and then drank it. True story. Like, I really care. I realize there's some level of serious discussion taking place, but seriously, how much of your life can you share in 280 characters? For all the massive volume of communication, there's precious little deep life-on-life -life sharing at the heart level, what we might call true fellowship. Life, real life mirrors that lack of depth, that lack of substance in relationship. Uh, so much of our interaction, even as believers, consists of little more than live text messages and face-to-face -face tweets. Hey, how you doing? Oh, just fine. The Bible's goal for the way we interact is, as believers sets the bar way higher than that. The Bible's goal for us is summarized in the word fellowship that we'll see in our main scripture for today. That word points to an intense caring for one another, a deep sharing of our lives with each other. This level of interaction with other believers isn't something that's uh, optional, an optional extra for the super spiritual. It's the standard that God commands for each and every believer. And God has provided each of us who are followers of Christ with the power to move toward that standard through the presence of his Holy Spirit who lives in each of us. Let's look at the main text for today, which comes from uh, the first letter of Paul, uh, the first letter of John, First uh, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Follow along in your Bible or your device or on the screen behind me. The Apostle John writes, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, 
which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things things, so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness... Uh, We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this marvelous truth that the Apostle John uh, proclaimed. Uh, One of those few who, when your son was walking here on earth, uh, heard him, saw him, touched him, uh, and heard these marvelous words of eternal life and has now passed them on to us. Father, we thank you for the forgiveness of sins which is proclaimed here through the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that not only uh, through believing in Christ can we have fellowship with God the Father through the Holy Spirit, but have true fellowship with one another. Help us, Father, to understand this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start by talking about the precondition of Christian fellowship. You you saw in our text that John links two kinds of fellowship using exactly the same word. Vertical fellowship with God the Father uh, and His Son through the Holy Spirit, and then horizontal fellowship among believers. The fellowship among believers rests on the reality of that union with God through faith in Jesus Christ. The union and communion with God is the basis of our union and communion with other believers. Union with God is a spiritual reality for every true believer, whether we experience it, whether we're consciously aware of it or not. In the same way, union with every other true believer becomes a reality the instant we believe, whether we are aware of it or not. Fellowship with God is the fellowship, is the foundation of all true human fellowship. You see, the Christian faith holds out so much more than getting saved from your sin so that you can go to heaven. Through faith in Jesus Christ, God the Father is offering you an eternal relationship with himself and his Son through the Holy Spirit who lives in every believer. That union with God is a reality for every believer. That doesn't mean that every believer enjoys the fruit of that union. The process of Establishing a real communion with God, that's a lifelong process. 
And we settle for much less than our birthright as believers when we do not enjoy conscious fellowship with the Godhead through the Holy Spirit who lives in each of us. So the, the moment we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we're united to the life of God by the Holy Spirit. The moment we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are also united to all true followers of Christ. We instantly become brothers and sisters of every real Christian. We immediately become part of the body of Christ. But that doesn't mean that every believer enjoys the fruit of that union. The process of establishing real communion, fellowship, koinonia with other believers, that's a lifelong process. We settle for so much less than our birthright as believers when we do not enjoy conscious fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ through the Holy Spirit who lives in each of us. Apart from a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, it's impossible to talk about true fellowship with another person. Next, let's consider the priority of Christian fellowship. Jesus, when he was on earth, commanded his disciples and us to love one another deeply, which is the basis for all true Christian fellowship. John 15, 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Do you want to, the, the world to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Do you want people to be convinced that we're his disciples? Well, then pray for a deepening love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. John 13, Jesus again says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus Christ didn't just command us to have fellowship with one another. He set a clear example of fellowship. He spent nearly every waking moment for the last three years of his life with 12 apostles and a number of other disciples. He shared his life totally with them. In the opening verses of the Apostle John's first letter that we just read, he talks about the amazing fellowship that they had with Jesus. Yet one of them, Judas Iscariot, was a traitor, and Jesus knew it. One of them, Peter, when the chips were down, denied knowing him. All of them were dense to the truth at times, just like you and me. Yet he patiently bore with them and even called them his friends. Before he left the earth, Jesus Christ prayed an astounding prayer. He prayed specifically for you and me, those of us who have believed in Jesus Christ through the testimony of the apostles. This is in John 17. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. 
I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Now, digging down a little deeper, what are some of the particulars of Christian fellowship? What does real fellowship look like as the Bible talks about it? Well, there's basically two ways to answer that question. The first is by looking at descriptions of the early church at its best. One excellent summary is found in Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The early believers enjoyed deep fellowship with each other. They actually shared a common life together. They gathered in the temple. They gathered in their homes. Those who had more money sold their property and belongings to aid poor Christian brothers and sisters. That sharing of goods is described in more detail in Acts 4. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Their their lives were deeply, deeply intertwined with one another. They were literally one big happy family most of the time. What, What is real Christian fellowship supposed to look like? The second way to answer that question is is to follow that little phrase, one another, through the whole New Testament. Here is a sampling of what you will discover. Throw those on the screen behind me. There there are many more. I'm I'm just going to throw these at you quickly, just for the cumulative effect. You can find these and others easily in a Bible program. Just search that little phrase, one another. Here we go. Outdo one another in showing honor. Romans 12.10 Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Romans 12.15 and 16 May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Romans 15, 5 through 7. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Romans 16, 16. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace 
And the God of love and peace will be with you. 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians 6, 2. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Ephesians 4, 32. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart, uh, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Colossians 3.16 Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 Always seek to do good to one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. James 5.16 Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Wow! What a list of commands. Do you have that quality and depth of relationship with other believers at Harvest? Is there anyone here at Harvest that could say, yes, without reservation. Yes, I I do all of these things. I know I couldn't. I fall so far short of this kind of fellowship with my brothers and sisters, even the, the small circle here at Harvest. God used another uh, one another command uh, uh, in Scripture to convict me of sin. Margaret and I and our two children lived in Cameroon, West Africa uh, from 1993 to 1995, where I taught at the Cameroon Baptist Theological Seminary. Our Cameroon connection actually began with a phone call in 1991 when I was the pastor of Evangel Baptist Church in suburban Boston. The secretary of the district office of our denomination asked if I would meet a Cameroonian man coming into Logan International Airport. Would I host him for a a few days while he found an apartment and got established at Boston University? Margaret and I gladly agreed. Well, we ended up inviting this man to live with us for the year and a half that he was doing graduate studies at BU. In January of 1992, the man's wife and young daughter uh, joined him, joined us for his final half year. I mean, we love having them with us most of the time. (laughs) There were times when having them in the house 24-7 became wearing, uh, especially their ideas of Child discipline were not the same as ours. I remember one time I was complaining to Margaret about their daughter misbehaving. Shortly after that, I came upon 1 Peter 4 9. 
Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So what? It wasn't just enough to show hospitality? I had to do it without grumbling? Yeah, there's a novel idea. It's just, just one of the many times that God has convicted me in regard to living out these one another commands. There's numbers of other scriptures that talk about genuine fellowship among believers, and they add the exclamation mark to these many Bible verses we've looked at. Here's from 1 John 3, verses 14 through 20. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against them, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. The Apostle John is saying that if we genuinely love our brothers and sisters in Christ, we will put our money, yes, and our time, our, our stuff, our energy, where our mouth is. When we love our brothers and sisters in this sacrificial way, it bolsters our assurance that we are Christians. In a world that has become so much more and more selfish and private, this kind of genuine one-anothering can cause both believers and unbelievers to sit up and take notice. Let me go down one more level uh, to the pursuit of Christian fellowship. What does this look like in practical terms? Each one of us who claims to be a believer must grapple with what the Bible says about fellowship. The Bible clearly lays out aspects of the way we're to interact with other believers. The Bible mandates fellowship, interacting with other believers in these deep, caring ways. The Bible is clear that, that, that you must be engaged in fellowship with believers outside your little family circle. That goes for you teens as well. God is calling all who professed faith in Jesus Christ to start now to develop deepening relationships with other believers. He's calling you to begin laying down your life for your brothers and sisters. Harvest has provided one opportunity for deeper fellowship for adults within the home group structure. If you choose not to be part of a home group there, there must be some way in which you're regularly carrying out the Bible's commands to love one another, honor one another, instruct one another, care for one another, comfort one another, serve one another through love, bear one another's burdens, address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, submit to one another, admonish one another, encourage one another with the word, build up one another. Exhort one another daily about sin's deceitfulness. Stir up one another to love and good works. 
Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Show hospitality to one another. Use your gifts to serve one another. All under that big umbrella, love one another. Now, some of these commands can certainly be carried out on a Sunday morning at worship. You can start by looking around on a Sunday morning and introducing yourself to someone you don't know. When we sing together, as we did earlier, we are addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Other one another commands require a depth of of relationship that must be built over the course of time. It requires a setting like home group where deeper relationships can be cultivated. I know from years of painful experience that the kind of fellowship that the Bible is talking about doesn't happen by accident. You have to first realize that fellowship with other believers is not an optional extra in your life if you claim to be a a Christian. It is the clear command of God. Plead with God to give you the strength and grace to make this true Christian fellowship a reality, especially if you're an introvert like me by nature. Then you have to strategize to see that it happens. The intentional pursuit of fellowship is summarized in Hebrews 10, verses 23 through 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Did you hear that clearly? Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Do you see the implications of that command? I mean, you'd you'd have to really get to know another person. to, To get to see his strengths and weaknesses. Get a sense of where she struggles with fear or bitterness or anger. Some real thought and prayer and planning and strategy needs to go into obeying that command. Otherwise, you're just... You're just lobbing truth bombs at the other person. You know, here's a little generic advice for your specific life situation. Uh, Believe me, that's not very helpful. Even if you're part of a home group, that doesn't guarantee that you'll invest your life and others in the home group. So that you're developing these kinds of relationships that the Bible clearly commands among, among believers. I, I mean, I've been part of enough small groups to know that there are always those who, who hang back and invest very little of their, themselves in the group. Some of the one, one, one another commands carry some real risk. Admonishing one another, exhorting one another. Confessing your sins to one another. Oh, ouch! Those are risky, risky things. You might get hurt. Now, you will get hurt. Uh, But that's what God is calling us to. 
Have you ever fallen into the trap that I've fallen into, especially this last year of my life? Whatever stage of life you're at, you can look at these commands and think, I I really want to pursue these commands. But at my stage of life, I, I don't see how I can possibly work this into my schedule. Maybe you're in school taking a heavy course load. You're studying all hours of the day and night. Where's the time for fellowship? Maybe you're a couple with a new baby. I mean, you can't remember the last time you had an uninterrupted night of sleep. I mean, where are you supposed to find the time and energy to engage with other believers? Maybe you've gotten a promotion at work and they're expecting you to put in a lot of extra hours to meet some project deadline. You know, I I think you get the point. No matter your stage of life, you'll always have reasons to think that you can't possibly uh, uh, fulfill the one another commands. It's so easy to say, once I get past this hurdle... Then I'll invest in other believers. As I was preparing to preach, I I realized that I need to hear this message as much as you, maybe even more. Uh, My nearly 100-year-old mom has been living with us for almost a year now. As her health has declined, she's required more and more of our time and energy. I've realized that I've I've been using our circumstances for not engaging as I should with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes, there are seasons in our lives when we might not be engaged as we would like, but no matter the stage of life, some level of engagement there needs to be with some level of engagement with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Even when we feel maxed out, God can give us the grace and the strength to engage with other believers. You know how wrapped up people are in their solitary lives, you know, just staring there at their little lighted screens. The Church of Jesus Christ needs to be a place of real face-to-face interaction, what the Bible calls fellowship. And what about when we do get time together? Does true fellowship automatically take place? How much of our interaction with each other, what we call fellowship, is not much more than face-to-face texting or tweeting? When the Bible talks about real fellowship, it has much more in mind than sitting around and exchanging live tweets about food, weather, sports, hobbies. The world shaking accomplishments are of our above average children. Each of us can learn to turn the corner from superficial conversation, tweets, to talking about heart level issues, things that matter for eternity. Even as a pastor, I I find this hard to do. I mean, you're talking about fairly mindless things. Yes, I, I even include the uh, uh, football under that category. How do you turn the corner to conversations about truly important matters? 
I mean, it, it seems odd, doesn't it, to sort of blurt out, so, how's it going with your soul? <laughs> or, what has God been saying to you in, in his word this week? That seems almost as awkward as going up to a total stranger on the street and asking, are you saved? Seeking to take relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ to the next level may seem awkward, but each one of us must be willing to take the risk to do, to do that. Share with another believer how God has been addressing sin in your life. Share how the Word has opened up new insights for you about God's greatness and glory. Communicate to another believer some fresh insight about the, the glory of the gospel. Share your praise about how God met you and your, your needs or your fears or your sorrow. Work at moving relationships with other believers beyond tweeting by exposing your own life to others. Your hopes, dreams, aspirations, fears, victories, struggles. I've given this message the title, The Joyful Duty of One Anothering. I don't want you to leave here thinking that living out the one another commands is just duty. I've got to do it because the Bible commands it. I want to close by stressing that it is a joyful duty. Earlier I mentioned our missions experience in Africa. Like some of you, I've been, been blessed to take part in a number of short-term mission trips as well. I, I'm sure you could testify with me that it's always come as a delightful surprise to be able to spend time with brothers and sisters in other cultures. Almost the, the, the moment I first met fellow believers in Africa or Asia, India, Haiti, there's been this sense immediately that we are brothers and sisters in Christ, that we've known each other our whole lives, even though we've just met. Because I know they're brothers and sisters in Christ. That, that, that's a powerful evidence that that same Holy Spirit lives in each of us. The experience of that supernatural bond has caused my heart to soar with joy. I don't know how often I've had the experience of feeling uh, just too exhausted to go to home group. Uh, I, I feel spent and I just want to crawl up with a good book and be alone. I, I've ended up going sometimes just out of duty. Time and again, I've been grateful that I've gone. Something from the Word or something that someone has shared in the group has encouraged me in my walk with Christ. Or I've had the joy of seeing something that I've shared touch a fellow believer. Why should I be, be, why should I be surprised God set up this whole idea of one anothering for the good of our souls? We need this kind of genuine fellowship to be healthy and whole as believers. Harvest is holding its first membership class soon. 
If you've been coming to Harvest for a time and consider Harvest your home church, let me to encourage you to become a member and invest yourself wholeheartedly in your brothers and sisters at Harvest. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Jesus Christ has the power alone to rescue you from your sin, your rebellion against God. He left the glories of heaven to come to earth. He lived a perfect life, pleasing God in every way. He shared his life completely with a group of men and women. And when he died on the cross, it was not for his own sin, because he had none. No, he was dying in place of all who would place their trust in him. He rose again, the victor over sin and death and hell. All who are attached to him by faith will share in the full scope of his victory. If you've not trusted in him, don't delay. Be reconciled to God today. The benefits of trusting Christ do not end with the forgiveness of sin and the promise of eternal life. Trust in Christ, as we read in 1 John, trust in Christ, we have fellowship with God the, the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in each and every believer. This is our birthright to be developed in this life and enjoyed in this life than fully enjoyed in heaven forever. Trusting in Jesus Christ, we can also have fellowship with other believers through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in every believer. This, too, is our birthright to be enjoyed in part in this life, but then fully forever in heaven. Let's invest ourselves in building fellowship with our fellow Christians and so experience our full birthright as children of God. Let's be about the joyful duty of one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, uh, again, that you came in human flesh, that you invested your life in uh, a group of apostles and disciples. Uh, and that you laid down your life on the cross uh, for them and for all who will believe. We're thankful, Father, that uh, placing our trust in Jesus Christ, we can enjoy fellowship with you in this life and unimaginable fellowship in the life to come. And Father, we thank you that you have provided the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, our brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, to be our family here on earth, to be enjoyed, uh, to invest our lives uh, in each other's lives, and to look forward to that day when all of these relationships will be full and rich and free from sin. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.